Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Several months after I got sober, a friend called and invited me over to their house where a few friends were going to be getting together for a dinner party. And I panicked. And then I couldn't figure out why the fuck I was panicking. These were all people I knew. Five, maybe six folks, so it wasn't a huge gathering. It was just dinner. It was just people hanging out for dinner. And yet, my heart started racing, and I suddenly felt really just this feeling of dread overcame me, and I couldn't fucking figure it out. So I just said, you know, I don't know what the fuck is going on. That was crazy. So I'm just, I'm just gonna go and do it. And I just spent the whole night sort of just anxious, and I couldn't figure out why that would be the case. I was among friends. It didn't make sense. Fast forward a couple weeks later, a similar situation where a bunch of people were going out after work at a a job that I had just started in, and my mouth dried up, and I made some excuse. I stammered out some bullshit about how I had something else to do, but next time, definitely hook me in, loop me up, whatever the fuck I'm in. But God, I was a mess. Over and over again, this happened for the first year or so that I was sober, until I was talking to someone and they said, you know, what you're talking about sounds a lot like social anxiety. And I laughed and I was like, I have social anxiety. Doesn't make any sense. How can I have social anxiety? I mean, I'm an actor for God's sake. I'm hilarious. I'm outgoing. I'm a sparkly, shiny pony of magnificence. There's no way I could possibly have social anxiety. Well, I'll tell you what a therapist I spoke to said. Social anxiety has absolutely nothing to do with the behaviors that people see or the masks that many people wear in order to get through the fucking day. When I sat and started processing around this, I realized that my whole life I had been living with that anxiety and it had manifested in different ways. And I realized that even in high school, before I would go out to a party or with friends to sneak into a bar with our fake IDs or to go to a club for a night out, I would always preload. So if a friend was having a party somewhere and we were going to be doing a little bit of the old teenage underage drinking. I always made sure to have a couple of sips of something up front. I always made sure that if there was something happening with my friends, that I was the one tending bar because then people wouldn't really notice whether or not I was drinking. Because you're behind the bar, right? Of course you have a drink with you there all the time. 
here's the thing. I was one of a minority number of kids of color in my high school. Add to that, I was also one of the few flagrantly poor children in my elementary and high school. So many of my interactions were fraught with the usual high school bullshit. Now, I need to caveat that I went to a school for quote-unquote gifted kids, and so a lot of the bullshit that my peers endured in public school and that I endured for the three months that I was actually in a public school because my family moved me too far away to commute. I realized how very different it was from my lived experience at Hunter. But I was still a poor kid and I still felt an incredible social pressure to fit in with the richer kids who could afford to buy a bottle of Stoli on the way into the party, who could afford to have three different bottles of wine on the shelf ready to go for any gathering. And so feeling unbelievably self-conscious, alcohol was a really great way for me to cope with that feeling of uncertainty and self-consciousness. I don't think I would have called what I was coping with in high school social anxiety, but there was certainly pressure. There was certainly fear. There was certainly concern on my part that I had to fit in. Now, if I need to try to get to the origin of my anxiety, I'm going to go back to the fact that as a child, I was living with one parent who seemed to almost definitely be living with bipolar disorder and definitely was living with uh, PTSD. And then another parent whose coping mechanism for dealing with stress was to withdraw into themselves and pray a lot. And so I did not really have really good role models in my first years of life for how to cope with social pressures and intrafamily pressures either. Everyone was just sort of of the nod and smile variety. I do remember as a child trying so very hard to make sure that I was always fun and funny and not a problem because my parents already had so many issues. There was no way that I was allowed to be another problem. I had to be entertaining, I had to be fun, I had to be funny, and to this day, one of the root pivot points of my social anxiety is, am I enough? Am I interesting enough? Am I funny enough? Am I earning my place in this interaction? And so when I recently posted about my social anxiety really crippling me and really giving me a hard time when I had five days in a row where I had to have friendly social interactions with people one day after another for hours and hours and hours. And it wore me down because all of these conversations are fraught for me, not just with the anxiety of, am I performing enough? Am I dancing as beautifully and perfectly through around, above, and beneath the conversational flow as I can, but also the constant fear, the real fear, that at any moment, any of the Caucasians with whom I'm hanging out and spending time in their presence could say something that's just going to plunge the entire conversation into a direction of having to make troubling and exhausting decisions of, do I educate? Do I nod and smile? Do I move on? So there's a lot going on. 
Therefore, it was incredibly troubling to me when I opened Facebook after posting an amusing anecdote about a conversation that I'd had in the middle of a social event to have a, someone that I'd gone to high school with, who was a friend of mine in high school, post a laughing, yeah, I'm not seeing the social anxiety here. I was so humiliated and angry and I actually like couldn't even respond to this comment for days and I still have not. Because all I want to do is scream, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Over and over again. What you see of people's lives, especially on social media, but even day to day with people that you know intimately, is only what they want for you to see. Perhaps if you are incredibly astute and incredibly empathetic, you might see through you might. But most people are way too caught up in their own bullshit to take the time to really look at other folks. So you really have to rely on what you see and what you're told. Sharing a diagnosis of social anxiety is something that it is in of itself causes anxiety. And so to have someone laugh and say, well, I don't believe you is so painful on so many levels. Recently, there was a situation where my husband owner had been invited to an event and he was having an immense amount of anxiety about it for his own reasons. And also he had anxiety about it for very practical reasons, which are that he has a whole shit ton of work to do. And so he explained to the person who had extended this invitation, look, I'm so honored. I'm so flattered. I'm so grateful, but I really need this time for myself. Now, should a person have to go into the deep psychological depths of their own private hell if they're just saying, I can't make an event? I think not. But sometimes it feels like you have to trot out your demons to entertain folks because God forbid you should say no, thank you. Or even just say, no, fuck you, fuck off. I'm not fucking doing this. Because what you see, because what they see is, you know, an older, successful white guy, you know, like doing his thing. And of course, why wouldn't he want to be where they want him to be? The stress of having to resolve this leaked onto and fucking seared me for a couple of weeks too, trying to cope with that and then trying to cope with his reaction to being pressured and railroaded into doing something he really did not feel was in his best interest at this time. And that's fucking life. Here's the thing. This is the reality about celebrity, be it niche fame, pocket celebrity, fleeting celebrity, whatever the fuck it is. But people expect you to fucking dance. Part of the reason it's so hard for me to do this podcast week after week is because I just know that none of you give one single shit about anything I have to say. And I just know that I'm talking to maybe three people and no one gives a shit. However, I managed to delude myself into thinking that maybe at some point, one person at least will be helped by something I have to fucking say. So I still do it. But that little kid that kid who perpetually needed to try to save her parents' lives, that kid who perpetually needed to be the funniest and best and most engaging kid in the room in order to earn her social place in high school, that person is now sitting here in front of you telling you 
that she is suffering. And your response is, well, I don't see it because my mask is too good for you to believe that I'm suffering. I wish I had some way to just convince everyone just to listen to people when they say things. How does it hurt you to believe someone? Or is it that you're just so ignorant of what anxiety means and what it looks like? Because what anxiety looks like shifts. It changes. If you assume that someone who has social anxiety is the person standing in the corner observing and not saying anything or running out, you're missing the fact that probably the person in the center of the room laughing the loudest is the person who's the most terrified inside. Do you think it's an accident that so many comedians are substance abusers? For fuck's sake, that pressure, that humor is a shield. It is a defense mechanism for many of us. It is a way for us to keep you at arm's length. If I can keep a shiny electron shell of amusing anecdotes and and funniness and glamour around me, then that means that you don't actually see the little tiny squishy marshmallow peep that's melting at my core, that's shaking and shivering and terrified that at any moment, at any moment I'll be exposed as the useless piece of human garbage that I truly am. And so when you say to me, I don't see it, what you're saying is you're a liar. What you're saying is, I don't believe you. Or what you're saying is, I'm completely ignorant of what social anxiety actually is. I'm not here to be your fucking therapist. I'm not here to help you do some shit that you could fucking Google on your own. You can see what it means. And you can see person after person describing how it shifts and how different it is for each and every person. Anxiety comes from all sorts of different places. If someone was depressed and then you saw them smiling on a beach in Maui, would you say, wow, you don't seem depressed? Or would you fucking understand that depression is a creature that gnaws at your insides? It doesn't sit on your head visible to all around you. It's a virus that kills slowly from within. And that is part of its efficacy is that you don't see it. And part of the reason you don't see it on some of us is because we're that fucking good. There's a lot of science right now on how people who are assigned female at birth, cisgender women, et cetera, et cetera, are so wildly underdiagnosed for all sorts of psychological and mental and emotional issues because, of course, boys get all the attention. The science around how my brain works is so poorly understood that my process of going through menopause is like a fucking ancient mystery that is being lowered on my head slowly like a ton of fucking bricks because the science is just not there, right? Like there just isn't a lot. And so I have to sort of feel my way through possibly what's what could possibly be like the height of awesomeness in my life coping with brain fog and physical issues and joint issues and memory issues and processing issues and executive function issues and anxiety issues and depression issues and 
libido issues and all of this stuff that I assume was just me going fucking crazy. Thankfully, as I described in a previous episode, episode, episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, suddenly I'm Porky Pig. As I described in a previous episode, I am a successful patient of ketamine therapy against my depression. And so part of what's amazing about my life right now is that I had some perspective to see how shit has shifted for me in the past 5, 10, 20, 50 years. And what I see is that the older I get, the more I realize that I am incredibly adept at functioning despite my anxiety, despite my being an alcoholic, despite the fact that I had to cope with years of depression. Now, is some of that just because I'm a fucking badass? Sure. However, I'm going to attribute a lot of the badassery to my being able to mask and survive day to day in situations that might have knocked out other people who were not able to fool you as well as I am. Fooling you is not what I want to do. If you think it's easy to just post your personal shit about your psychological damage on the internet, you're... You need to work on your empathy. Or maybe you don't need to. Stay stay a jerk. I don't really care. But know that we see you, okay? Those of us who are living with rough shit, who take a deep breath and post publicly, here is our rough shit, are not helped when you laugh and say, well, I don't see that your shit is that rough. You seem fine to me. Ultimately, what that means to me is that you are someone who needs to be placed outside of the sphere of my interest. I'm not very easily hurt, generally. But like the Death Star, I do have a couple of ports where if you hit them just right, I do implode. One of them is being told that what I have shared is inaccurate or not believed. Another one is people not showing up for my birthday party because I have that serious shit. <laughs> but I do have, I don't think I have abandonment issues so much as I have like not showing up for shit issues. And, and this is the reason why when people invite me to stuff, I almost never say, yes, I will definitely be there. I usually say, I will try my best. Or if I don't have some sort of meltdown and need to hide in my house, I will be there. But I never just say, oh, yeah, I'm going. That's awesome. Because it hurts me so badly when people flake out on me that I don't want to be the one to flake out. Am I overreacting? Possibly. I have been told I am overreacting. But the thing is that those are my fucking reactions. And I am entitled to them. I am not entitled to very much in this life. But my feelings and my emotional truth, I sure as fuck am going to stick my heels into the ground and put my shoulder against you if you try to push back on me by telling me that I don't know who I am or that I don't have a right to my feelings or that my feelings are too much or too anything, really. Go fuck that shit. God, I hate that. It's so dismissive and it's so harmful and it's so insidious because while I can brush off 98% of that, 2% of that still sticks because this is shit I heard for so much of my life. 
Oh, Mo, you're overreacting. Oh, Mo, you're too sensitive. Oh, Mo, you think too much. You think too much. (laughs) The one thing in my life I have felt like I could rely on was my intellect and my cleverness and my ability to solve problems. And then to have people turn around and say, you think too much? (sighs) Again, those folks have had to go into the realm of outside of my immediate sphere of interest because I can't have you close to me and able to hurt me again and again if that is how you regard me when I share my personal, private, sometimes desperate thoughts, feelings, and reality. The fuck is that about? The United States is not a country where people's feelings are always respected, right? Now, white women's feelings are often respected. The feelings of white women are so respected that people have died as a result of a white woman having a particular feeling of a certain type. As an African-American woman, I have no illusions about how much this country cares about my feelings. Well, that country, because right now I'm in Slovenia and Slovenia probably doesn't care much about my feelings, but I don't live here, so... That's all right, too. <laughs> so, I mean, please, I am well aware of how low my value is as a member of American society. And so when I invite people into my life, my hope is that they see the value that I bring just by being alive, just by sharing my shit, just by trying to say, you're not alone out here. It's not just you. When I share that I have social anxiety and someone who sees themselves struggling, even though everyone assumes that they're like the center in the life of the party, and that means that therefore they are always enjoying every single fucking minute of that party, maybe they can take a deep breath and allow themselves to be and allow themselves to feel this difficulty. Just because I have now said, hey, you know what? I'm feeling this. And it's okay for you to feel it too. (sighs) I wish we could just be some fucking more, a little more compassionate and to think about what we say to people, especially what we say to people that we consider to be peers, compatriots, friends, acquaintances. Think about how it would feel for you to be in a situation where you had shared something and then to have someone use your reality against you. And I know that shit is ignorance, but do you know how much ignorance I have to fight on a daily goddamn basis? People might look at my life and think, oh, how amazing. Look at her. She's traveling all over the world with her famous husband. That must be, yeah, I'm traveling all over the world to countries where occasionally I have to endure flagrant, grotesque acts of racism, not so glamorous where I have to be away from my own home and my own bed six months out of the year, which is less glamorous. And you know what? We're not Beyonce and Jay-Z. We're not traveling on our own fucking private planes. We're counting pennies and looking at the best options and occasionally splurging because otherwise, God damn, it would be exhausting. Oof, you got to fly to Europe 12, 14, 20 times a year? Coach is going to wear fucking thin real fast. So you save your miles. 
<laughs> and you make those upgrades happen. But when I share the difficulties and someone turns around and goes, oh, but isn't it so great? To yeah, I'm not saying it's not great. Can you think about living with the dichotomy of two feelings at the same time or can't you? Does everything have to be so fucking black and white that you can't see that something can be an amazing and wonderful opportunity and exhausting and terrifying? Can you not see how, while terror of failure exists, terror of success exists as well? I'm seeing this right now in myself and, and, and in my husband, like, Every success comes with that same pull, that drag of your past, that fear of not being worthy. Every accolade you receive, every like on a video, every admiring glance from a group of people who are tiptoeing up to you asking for an autograph is exhilarating and terrifying. Because at what point do you let someone down? No, I don't lay awake at night worrying about what people think about me. However, in the moment when my anxiety takes over, any idiot would have the power to strike a blow to my self-esteem from which I might not recover for hours, days, weeks, or maybe even ever. Because my strength is strong, but not invincible. You can't just do and say anything to anyone all the time. That shiny facade that you're looking at is in front of something that you can't see. And if we could just all live in a state of respect and awe and wonder at the fact that we are dealing with creatures, the surfaces of which we see and, and perhaps into some of the depths but some of us have like Mariana Trench level shit going on so far beneath that you will never, ever have a chance to know all of what is going on in there. And so for you to make assumptions based on the fact that I sing real pretty and dance real nice in a high pressure situation, then you're missing out on understanding the true depth and complexity and flavor of who we are as people. Now, if you are one of these folks who sits back there shaking your head and saying, well, I just don't see it. That person parked their car in the handicap section, but they don't look handicapped to me. This girl says she has social anxiety and yet she's out here cracking jokes with the waiter. This person over here said that they were depressed and yet they just took a trip around the world. It's fucked up. It's fucked up because it takes an additional level of guts to stand up and say, here's where I'm broken. Only for you to turn around and insist that break doesn't matter. Let's see if we can be kinder, okay? Let's see if we can just believe people when they tell us who they are. Let's see if we can just support folks who are struggling. 
because it'll be your turn. It'll be your turn. And I know that what you would want in your moment of pain is understanding and a shoulder, not a skeptical laugh. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.